Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks for joining me on the Enrealment Hour podcast. I appreciate your presence and your support. A few bits of information before I tell you about today's conversation. My newest book, Hue Manifestations on Trauma, Truth, and Transformation, is now available on Amazon at various bookstores and libraries. One of the best ways that independent publishers grow is if their supporters suggest them to bookstores and libraries. That changes everything. So, if you feel so inspired, please put in a good word for Hugh Manifestations. In addition, my next Writing Your Way Home course will begin at soulshapinginstitute.com on July 19th, 2023, for anybody who is interested. And I am getting activated on my Enrealment newsletter on Substack which is a wonderful space for writers like me to express our ideas in longer form. Links in the show notes if you are interested. I have been wanting to talk with today's guest for a long time. She's really quite remarkable. Annie Price is a powerhouse soul, one who has a lot to teach us about overcoming early life challenges and flourishing in a judgmental world. In this riveting conversation, she shares the details of her profound early life trauma, that is, being severely burned in a fire, and some of the steps that she took to find peace and joy on her path. There are many takeaways from her story, but perhaps the most significant is her remarkable ability to find the light in the darkness, and not only to find it, but to then bring that brave light to those who need it. Speaking of light bringers, here's a bit of Trevor Hall's song Arrows from his album, The Fruitful Darkness. I've always found it fascinating that most of the greatest creators on our planet are the ones who had to traverse an overwhelm of challenges on the path. It's almost as though the darkness that they knew was the arrow that ignited their greatness. Now, if only we could all convert our challenges into offerings, now that would really be something. Here's Trevor. This journey's got me bleeding a certain kind of feeling. But I can never leave it. Good God, I know I need it. Arrows come straight for my heart. Annie. So good to have you with me. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It's so good to be here. So nice to see your face. Yours mm, too. So I brought you on because I wanted to hear your, in my view, remarkable story of overcoming. You'll tell us how you characterize it. Um, but take us just back to the beginning. Just tell us what happened and and let's go from there. Okay, so I was burnt in a fire when I was four weeks old. I say suffered, but I don't know if that's the right word. But I have third degree burns to my face, the top of my head. I always wear a wig, both my hands, my arm. Um, I'm not sure if many of you know much about uh, burns, but third degree burns are pretty much the ones that you get just before death. So they're the ones that you can sort of have and still be alive. And the circumstances that happened was a little bit... Well, not really nice for anybody, which I'm sure you'll you'll think when you hear. But <clears throat> I was born into a traveller family, 
Again, I'm not sure if many people know about travellers or gypsies, quite a nomadic bunch, move around a lot. Kind of patriarchal, uh, certainly my 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 birth mum was, uh, or stay-at-home mum. That was like the only option really for her. Husband went out, earned the money. You know, the, the woman would take care of the kids. And that was true for my mum. She was actually super young. She's probably only about 17, possibly younger. Uh, and she'd already had two kids. So I was her third. And that would give you an idea of what it was like in, in that kind of traveler community. Like you breed young, you know, marry young, kids young. Uh, and then I was her third. Now my mum, my birth mum is white. Her husband was also white. When I came out black, obviously that didn't put her in a very good situation. I was told that the authorities told me that when she was pregnant with me, I think that she knew that I was going to be black. Now, we don't know if it was an affair. Hopefully it was, or if it was rape. We don't know. And that she wanted me to be put up for adoption immediately as soon as I was born because she thought that we both... Myself and uh, my mum would be ostracised from the community, you know, having a black kid in a, you know, what is already quite a close-knit kind of community. And it would be obviously plainly obvious that she'd had an affair. So then when four weeks later, I turned up at hospital with third-degree burns, all the authorities at the time thought that she'd done it on purpose and put me in the fire to try to kill me, which... I'm sure we can all understand that's not really nice for anybody to think uh, our parents did that but in all honesty I've never really sort of and I don't say this in that kind of holier than now I'm so woke and grown I've given her the gift of forgiveness I don't think that at all I just mean I don't hold any anger towards her because I just think you know everything's relative and I just truly believe that no normal happy person would do that or make that decision you know, absolutely no, right no you know if it, was, if it was different and I fell pregnant that would not be anywhere near on the list of what I would be thinking of doing it's just absurd to even think that she thinks that's okay who are the people around her that think that's okay I'm not suggesting that she was told to do it but you know what's happening for that to be an option and so yeah I don't have anger towards that situation uh, obviously, lots have come up since, which I'm sure you're going to ask me questions about. But uh-huh. I was four weeks old, I was burnt, and I was in hospital for seven and a half, eight months. So lots of operations, uh, lots of skin grafts, lots of operations to keep me alive. And I was fortunate. It was very much a given lots of meds to keep her comfortable. Um, but I did have one surgeon on my side. He, he decided to operate and do lots of of the newer kind of skin grass. So it was, I think it was just a very lucky, fortunate situation, really. Um, and I was fortunate as well, because back then in the UK, they had this, which I actually only found out quite recently, but they had this system where it wasn't like a ward where there was just hundreds of nurses in and out. They had certain nurses and they would, you know, pin one or two max, possibly three, you know, absolute max nurses to one child and I think that that probably would have really really helped because obviously being a baby and not actually attaching to anyone is quite a difficult thing and I certainly had trouble attaching to my foster mum when I went with her but I think that that sort of gap was possibly closed a little bit because I was given that kind of care and I've had a couple of nurses reach out and say you know I remember you 
And it was funny because I had one of the nurses was a baby as well. She's only 17. Can you imagine having to, I don't know, it's crazy. There's so many crazy aspects. It's funny talking about it now, you know, because obviously every time I say it, it's all, you know, you feel differently about everything. You know, I'm mum now. I have two kids. And so looking at the whole situation is different. But no, I was lucky. I was, I was very fortunate. I was fostered from about eight months old. And then I was adopted by the same family, um, which is kind of unusual. Most people sort of bounce around foster homes. So I was quite lucky to be adopted with the same family. But then they were also white, which took my mum a long time to be able to adopt me. Because again, back then, they didn't like interracial adoption. So it took about six years. What t- well, sorry, what took six years? Well, for my mum, my foster mum to adopt me because she was white. And they wanted me to be adopted into a black family. They didn't like interracial adoption back then, so it was quite difficult. And I had a few families sort of try and then sort of back out. So in the end, um, yeah, I got to stay with the with the people I was originally with, which I think was massive. I think there's a lot of – I know people probably think I'm insane to say it, but I think there was a lot of luck along the way of my story. You know, like it, it could have gone one way, but it went the other. And I think it really – Looking back, especially now with kids and seeing the bits that really matter, a lot can go wrong in someone's life. But if you've got one person in your corner, rooting for you, holding you, loving you, accepting you, you know, not stroking your back, telling you everything you're doing is right, but just being there, you know, like showing up for you. I think that that is absolutely game changing. I'm very lucky that that's that's exactly what I had with my mum. I'm not going to say it was easy. I couldn't say the story for her because... The things that she had to do, not only did she have to take on a whole new child, because she didn't originally want to adopt, she just wanted to foster. But then she had me and she didn't want to give me back, like I'm sure a lot of people feel. And uh, she had to deal with all my operations. And not just you know, intervals in and out of the hospital, but the aftercare that I still do deal with now, whereas my hands, I couldn't, they said I wouldn't be able to write or use my hands. She had to literally get moisturizing cream and bend my hands around, which might not sound mm. Too bad, but obviously a baby cries through that, you know, because it's physically painful. So having to sort of push through, do those sorts of things, change my dressing dressings. Yeah, there's just a lot of things she had to think about. I was so lucky, you know, she's such an intelligent woman. Yeah, she really sort of adapted adapted her way of parenting to sort of broaden it and make my level of life, if you like, normal. Like, I really think she sort of helped me create that. You know, I didn't really grow up, actually. I know it sounds crazy. I was fully aware I was different. As I said, I didn't wear a wig up until I was probably about 20, if I'm honest. Um, so I look quite severe, more so than now. But she, yeah, she really sort of made me feel I was relatively normal. You know, like, I felt like, yes, I'm burnt. Yes, I'm brown. But, you know, there's blonde kids, tall kids, short kids, rich, poor, sporty different sizes i just thought that oh i'm bad you've got 10 fingers i've got nine i've got brown hair and scars you've got blonde hair and smooth skin you know what i mean it wasn't you know it's a while it wasn't just probably about 15 16 you know as i got older and older i was really like whoa you know this is this is a thing interesting so let me go back a little bit um just just so i understand so you said they believed at the time that your biological mother had sort of lit the house on fire on purpose, had done all of this on purpose, correct? That was the perception. Um, but yeah. And is that still the 
belief or has other information come in since? So I actually was able to do a documentary for the BBC. Um, I had a few production companies come and sort of say, do you want to look into your past? And it was at a time where I'd, you know, I was how old was I? Probably knocking 30. I had a relationship, good job. I sort of calmed down, I think, a little bit. And I sort of finally realized, you know, what, I think I want to start looking back. So it came at the same time, oddly, again, this luck thing coming in. The same time that I originally started looking myself organically. But again, you know, like any intelligent person who's looking into people, went on Facebook. Um, but I found that most travelers have got the same last name. So it was near impossible. So when the BBC asked me to do a documentary, we looked into it. And then it did come out through the documentary that it was more an accident. However, unfortunately, since that, which was probably about uh, five, nearly six years ago, I did that. Uh, I found out more information, and, and I think it was it was done on purpose. Um, let's call it gross neglect. Yeah, it was intent. It was intent. It was intentional. Unfortunately, yeah. Got it. got it. And was your biological mother arrested at the time? No, no. So again, travelers are kind of live in their own little community it's not a house it's all like caravans moving around you know you can't there was no and also as well i was saved by an unknown someone just brought me and put me in hospital and did a runner it wasn't like they sat with no one to sort of corroborate but the police did have enough to take my who would have been my older sister into care and then when they spoke with her they they they, she said that she saw my mum do it. It was really sad. And it was her birthday. It was my sister's birthday. I don't know what. I don't know what. The hell, I don't know. I can't even explain. But um, and so, and it's difficult because she was only young. She's like three, four. But you know, I've got a two-year-old, and she would be able to say what she saw, and I would be able. To, and you'd know the difference between a lie and a not lie. They know past tense, present tense. You know what I mean? So it's it's a fair thing, but obviously they can't take that as gospel. So they didn't have enough to bring anyone in or or press charges do you have a like a felt experience memory of any of that early few years you do can you feel into any of that memory even of sensations or perceptions or anything i was told another story i was told a lot of stories i was told that it was actually a uh called a camp you know when you go camping there's like a gas thing you hold like a little lantern thing i was told that that fell into my car and so I had a I had a real genuine fear of those. Not so much that I wouldn't want to be near them, but if I saw one, it would give me a bit of dread for quite a long time. But then I found out that that's obviously not true, which was kind of helpful because it it kind of taught me to see that a there's always a couple of ways to look at a situation, and two that these kind of self imposed fears and things that we some you know we story tell ourselves into into feelings, and so. Actually, that's kind of helpful in a lot of ways for my life going forward. But um, no, I don't remember. I was four weeks old. I don't. I don't remember. Um, I think I've had a few dreams and things, but absolutely nothing real. All kind of my own imagination paired with mixture of stories. But no, nothing real. I think my only my earliest memory of that regard was being put into. So when you have skin grafts, you have to have skin taken from one piece of your body. That's you know, if if possible, and then obviously put on another, and it's pretty painful. Um, and get the, get the glasses off. They put you in hot water, like pretty hot water, not like 
least it's lukewarm. And I just remember the pain of going in that water. Like, and there's really horribly big surgical baths, which, you know, are big for an adult, let alone a child. Um, I just, you know, it's kind of like putting a cat in water, you know, it doesn't want to happen. And again, I didn't really have that whole, I was lucky with some nurses, but some nurses were just like soldier under kind of situation. So that wasn't the best. But no, I don't remember the original novel. You said that in terms of how you were responded to by people in the community, that it got harder as you got older. Um, was your experience when you were young, going to school, were you met with um, compassion? Were you met with a sense of equality? Were you were you shamed and shunned, or did that start to happen more later in life? Uh, I know I had difficulty when I was a kid, um, but I think that I was, you know, I was just super upbeat, enthusiastic. I was the youngest of three, again, very lucky, because as I'm sure if most parents and kids know, the first four probably gets lots of attention, a little bit more sensitive. The second is one way. The third, you're just a scallywag that just gets on with it. You're so used to the ruckus of life. You just fall in line. So I think I kind of got along with things. But at school, I did definitely get some troubles, for sure. Certain that no one escapes school without a little bit of difficulty. But I remember uh, one of the uh, some kid in school, which is probably the school the the first level school, uh, like saying something horrible about my face. I can't even remember what it was to be honest. Um, I remember the position, you know, the funny way funny memories come back. But he was above me on like a ramp, and he was just like really, you know, like thrown at me, kind of some saying some horrible things. I can't even. I genuinely can't remember what along the lines of "Oh, you're disgusting," you know, that kind of vibe. And I um, rather animalistically kicked him straight into the shin. <laughs> and, uh, justifiably, justifiably so. Yeah. And, uh, but I was quite that kind of way. Even at home, that was an act. I had a very a large amount of anger that my mum had to sort of help me with. Like, if my sister upset me, I wouldn't just punch her back. I would take out her whole China favourite tea set. You know what I mean? It would be like... <sighs> Me, I'm gonna go triple time. It was like heavy, heavy on it, but that was like my gut thing. It wasn't like a thought out. Um, but it, but even at school, in for instance, in that situation, I remember being sort of whisked off by the teachers to the office. My mum got called up, obviously, and I was technically kind of in trouble. And it was, but even then, and these kind of things had happened a few times. The teachers kind of sort of said, like, "Look, we're putting you in here. You've, you know, you cannot hit people, no matter how you feel." And certainly kick people. So I did it, you know, I hurt him. He was like, you know, in a lot of pain, point blank in the shin. No one's coming up, no one's going to enjoy that. But it was kind of like bottom line, like, I don't have to say, like, right or wrong, that's not the right thing to do. But morally, that's okay. And so I think from a very early on, which actually probably caused a lot of my trouble through my teens, I, I felt like there was a different type of law. Like, there's one where, you know, you do one thing, you do the other. But then there's also another, you know, you could do something bad, but morally it was the right thing to do, so it doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, so, uh, like, you're, like you're not supposed to legally kick the guy in the shins, but he deserved to be kicked in the shins. Like yeah, that. I wouldn't do anything for that by the teachers or anybody. Like, it was, like, quite a fair, like, you know, they and they said, oh, right, fair enough. We're not, we're not going to say anything. We're not going to tell you off, but we can't let you go back to the class for a bit. And we've got to call your mum in and have a discussion. And I'm pretty sure they just let me have some biscuits and chill in the office for a bit. You know, it was very uh-huh. quite fortunate in that aspect. And that happened a couple of times. And again, it, I have to say as well, I wasn't 
you know, crazy that of my way to do this because I think people forget that when these things happen, even if you get a good reaction, which that was technically a relatively good reaction, it's still horrible. I don't want to be there. I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to have this. Discussion. I want to be with my pals. So yeah, it wasn't like I wasn't over the moon by the situation at all, but it, I definitely wasn't berated by it. Yeah. So I had a few of those but on the whole. I was lucky. I even had friends jump in for me. I remember a girl said something, one of my boy friends at the time, not boy, a boy pal, like punched her. We were kids again, little school. It wasn't like a, you know, it was a fair fight kind of thing. Uh, and so I think again, like morally, it was quite clear, like you don't do that, like you don't be rude. And, and logically, as a child, I was never, so I hear people now like, oh, they treated me badly. They did this. And, and it's sad to me that it crushes people because even at a young age, I was like, why would you say that? Like, I just knew, I was like, who are you to say that to me? That's disgraceful. Like, you don't do that. Like, if you don't like me, just go, you know, I'm not hurt. I'm not hurting you. And so, but obviously I had so much of that and going out, I'd have adults be like, what happened to you? Like, why are you like, you know, and I was at what, five, six, tiny age. And the questions and the things that people do, you know, parents is terrible, but parents would literally like tap on their kid's shoulder to stare at me. You know, I had so many different people would follow me, take pictures, try to touch me, grab me. Um, Humanity. Humanity, yeah, honestly. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. So, the outside world wasn't great. But school itself was okay. You know, it's interesting. It's it's like the um, the ones that get shamed are usually the ones that are should not be. And the ones who are shaming them really are the shameful ones, you know. So I have two questions. So first, in terms of the anger piece, the way I understand anger and what helped me going through my early life, obviously under different circumstances, uh, where I was sort of violated more verbally and somewhat physically. What I learned and what I've come to believe is that to the extent that I could express my fuck you and move it through me, that somehow restored the integrity of my being because I experienced those violations as something that sort of violated the integrity of my being. So if I thought of myself as a circle, I think this was Alexander Lowen, bioenergetics, I think he languished it this way, that it's like there was a dent in the circle and now I had to sort of push the dent back out to regain the sense of my integrity because I had been violated and there was justified anger and the anger had to move and trying to soften all of it to forgiveness doesn't move all that material. So do you feel as though in a way the sort of pissiness part of you that would come out sometimes was actually, even if it didn't come out in the way you wish it had come out, so that's a different story, but was actually you're moving some kind of anger because you had been so deeply violated at an early age? That's an amazing question slash statement. I've never seen it like that, that circle before. Like that. That's so good. It's actually giving me goosebumps. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I do. I do think that. I think holding in wasn't good. And again, mine was very fast anger. Like it was never like, I'm really upset. I'm going to do X. It was like, immediate anger and then maybe not always in that like any person you've had a tough day chip 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 like I remember occasionally just being like kind of feeling a bit tired I felt exhausted on life sometimes which is probably not a good thing to, to have a young child of seven or so talk like but my mum kind of got that and again she would be like and I would lie I was, I was so sick I can't go to school I'd just be and I'd make up I'd try and like 
It's really silly when I think about it now. I used to mix up thick, just like chalk with water. It was obviously not sick, right? But I used to make this out. I said, Mum, I've been sick, look, you know. And she and she would sort of read between the lines and be like, you know, she just needs a day. And so mm. that was the with the expression of anger. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because again, this is the thing that bothers me when people talk about kids or they say, Oh, they don't have memory, they don't they won't remember things after five, all of this. It's like, yeah, they don't have memory, but you know if you're having a good time, you know if you're having a bad time. Mm. You know if someone's being mean, you know if someone's not being mean. And these emotions will travel with you. And then that's how and also that that creates your new normal and that's the problem. And so for me, like, yeah, absolutely. The anger was just like part and parcel of it. But again, unfortunately, learn. Well, not unfortunately, just part of life, I guess. It's a privilege of living. We get to learn, usually the hard way. Um, that the anger didn't help me because, and it's not even about other people. You know, it was just if I was angry and I, you know, would get that angry for X amount of period of time, that's taken me off course. You know, I say it to people now, like, it's a privilege to be upset. It's a privilege to be offended. It's a privilege to be, you know, outrightly angered about something. If I allowed, I could, I would probably, uh, to get angry, even today, over this last week, I would have jumped off the edge of a cliff because I, I couldn't handle, I wouldn't be able to handle it. I couldn't handle it. It would be too much. And I say, like, it's like trying to walk down the street and someone constantly saying, Oh, come, come here. I've got, can you come over this? Can you do this? It's like, look, I can't, just because you want to say something to me or you want to get involved, I can't give you my day, you know, even if it's good. Like I was going to supermarket not long ago because I was talking to actually do another talk about, uh, like consistency of mind, but in all areas of life. And I said, often we're good in certain areas and certainly I might be good in one area, but it doesn't always translate to another area. But like I was going to supermarket and some guy was like, Oh, you look. Something, something horrible, like a big reaction and covered his face. And, you know, actually, God, I was looking pretty good that day, but whatever. And, uh, yeah, he was a bit rude, but I was like, whatever, you know. I go into the, sh- to the shop, do my thing, food, whatever. Two seconds later, some other guy's half chatting me up. And it's like, that was probably the hardest thing that I don't experience now, but I certainly did back then. That absolute high yo-yo of reactions. Like, I never just got to pass through, like, it was just like this constant big emotion, big reactions, you know, constantly, constantly, constantly. In and both, in, both, in negative and positive, I guess is what you're saying, negative right? But even the positive wasn't really positive because people are like, mm. oh, you're so beautiful. You're beautiful on the inside. You're this on the inside. Don't worry about it. You can, you're so inspirational. You're though this. What, yeah, is, what is wrong with this fucking species? Honest I to God. Know. I don't know. And I think, like, even when I was younger, I was like, I don't know. I don't get it. But I knew I didn't love being called an inspiration when someone had just met me because I was like, you know what? I just felt rightly or wrongly, and I and I know I do get it a bit more now. I do. I look at people and they give and, I, and they can give me a smile. I can see them, and you can see them struggling. Like maybe even a single mum or a mum that I know is having a difficult time with her kids, but she's just staying calm and she's just being pleasant and she may smile at me, and that does inspire me. And so now I do get it. When I was younger, I just heard, "You're so ugly." That you're in, you 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 inspire me to carry on. You know what I mean? I was just very like offended, but obviously maybe that was preteen angst as well, coupled with not taking the good compliments. But again, I just was like, you don't know what I've gone through, or you don't know what the crack is. 
Because again, for me, everyone just took it at face level. You know, it really offended me because people were like, oh, it's your look, it's how you look. And I was like, you know what? That is like the best part of my problem is how I look. That can be dealt with. Nicely said. Nicely said. I mean, we live in such an assumptive world. It's everything's based on assumptions and projections and optics. And um, very, nobody was really taught how to or rejected the teachings about actually inquiring into somebody's experience before coming to a conclusion or inquiring into their experience and never coming to a conclusion, just inquiring into their experience. You know, being fascinated by your experience. I'm fascinated by your story of overcoming. Do you see it as a story of overcoming? This is my question to you, or do you not? Do you see it in some other way? I don't In all honesty, I can't make it a habit of not intellectualizing my own situation too much because, A, I know it changes day to day, year by year. <laughs> and the one grace I realize is that everything unfolds, everything makes a little bit more sense. Sometimes, unfortunately, less sense. You know, like even going back to what I just said, how I felt then about people telling me I was inspiration and blah, 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 blah really inf- offended me, really annoyed me. Then when I was, what, from 11 up to probably about 17, 18, maybe. But as I got older, and now certainly, I don't mind. You know, I literally have people come and pat me on the back and say, well done. You know, and technically I should get annoyed by that. But now I don't, I don't, that doesn't even bother me. You know, I just see that, you must look at the intention behind someone and you've, and I've also got to give them what I want, which is understanding. And for them, that's the best they could do. And they're trying to be nice to me. And often some people will have done things. I know they're petrified, shaking their, shaking as they come up to me and they just say, oh, I just really, really want to say, I hope you don't mind. And they give me some compliment, which yeah, whatever. But the guts that it's taken them to come up to me and say that like the intention, that's just the only thing I take now. Like what is their intention for that? You know, that's super important. And you've got to put it in perspective in that. Let's say I run over your cat. If I had done that by accident, I know for a fact you would feel one way. But if I was your neighbor that I did not like your cat and I did it on purpose, you would feel in a different way. Now, technically, the same act has happened, right? It's the intention behind the act that changes everything. And so that's something, again, I learned. So when you say, do you see it as overcoming? You know what? If I wanted to earn lots of money and sell books, yes, I think I should say it's a story of overcoming that would help me. But if I'm honest, Jeff, what's the option? I didn't well, have a choice. Well, you, well you did have a choice. So let did me. Well, you didn't have a choice, but in the same circumstances, somebody else may have diff- had it made a different choice. So let me ask. This is the question I wanted to ask. So the way I perceive you and have from first connecting with you is that you, you th- that there's something on a soul or spirited level about you that allowed you to maneuver through a difficult set of early circumstances, I think that's safe to say, um, with panache and with, um, you know, with a tendency to find a way of looking at things that was very humane and very uplifting and very forward moving. And I do not believe that every soul that came in in the same circumstances would have or could have become who you have become. So I guess my question to you is, and it's another hard question, maybe, is what is it about you that allowed you to maneuver through this in a way that was 
healthy, even if, of course, imperfect, this is life, and to reach the place where you are thriving in many areas of your life and bringing good teachings um, and positive influence to a great many people related to your fitness work, et cetera, and mindset and all of that. You know, because I'm always interested in sort of the interrelationship between circumstances and the soul's journey. Mm -hmm. So how did you do this as beautifully as you did it? And, and what does it say about your calling in this lifetime or your true path or what James Hillman called the innate image, who you are meant to be in this lifetime that you interface with these challenges in the way that you did? That's a wonderful question. That's a really great question. Because not everybody would have. Not everybody would have. I'm sure of that. Really? I don't yeah. know. I think, it, I think it might be it helps me to believe that we would all do the same in the circumstances. I feel like it's nice to believe mm. that we would all move forward in a relatively similar way. Well, a lot of I, people leave us by their own hand with far less in the way of things to apparently at least to overcome. So I don't think everybody would interface with the same circumstances in the same way. That's actually a really good point. So what is it about you? I'm just, you know, what is it about you that, what is it as a matter of philosophy or inherent perspective or some part of your soul that you had something else to get to in this lifetime and you couldn't let anything stop you? What is it about you that, um, got you through all of this in the way that you've gotten through it uh first up thank you for that question because it's actually forced me to look at things in a more positive you know it's hard to pat yourself on the back sometimes especially if you're a mm. working english girl like myself mm-hmm. it's hard to outrun fate and just fall in line with what you've been brought up with but i believe that actually it's it's far less interesting as exciting as i think people would want in that, I think that if you, you know, I was lucky that self care for me was really high on the must do list before. Obviously, I would have named it self care. I didn't know that was it, but it was very clear to me from a very early age. You know, if I felt if I didn't feel good in myself, everything else was a thousand times worse and unbearable. If I felt centered, and again, I wouldn't have been able to intellectuate and you know, like explain it in these words, but it was clear. So, say, like the feeling when I felt good and I was doing things that felt good, I felt good, and I didn't need to take on board other people. So, there's a lot of things, but it kind of boils down to, and it mirrors actually, I've got a good story probably to help explain it. In I, Around 15, I wanted to get a job in a shop, like just a clothes shop where my friends were doing the same things. You know, we want to earn a bit of money at 15 or whatever it is. They were all in the clothes, sort of fancy, popular clothes shops. And I knew there was job vacancies because they were like, come bring your CV. And I did that, printed it out, walked into the the place. I didn't get hired, didn't get anyone. You know, I walked in, shopkeeper got awkward, you know, couldn't look at me in the eye, looked all over the place. I felt awkward. You know, it kind of crushed me because, you know, you kind of need someone helping you along in those situations. And yes, I could have, you know, in hindsight, I could have gone in there a bit more confidence. I could have just said, hey, give me a chance. I'll work for free for a day. Let me show you what I can do. But I was young. You know, it hurts if people don't want you there. And so I think that that hurt. And that was for me, that was quite a bit of crushing time. 
And how I got out of that was a wonderful movie epiphany scenario or this big whirlwind of a new mindset shift. It was that fundamentally, and this is probably the best way I can answer your question, is that I got bored being sad. I didn't want to feel that way. You know, I was a happy person. I am happy. I'm cheerful. I enjoy life. Have good friends and have great relationships. I've always had great relationships, and that. And again, you know, I was very looking back. I innately did the things that I think any human being would struggle not to be happy if they were doing those things. Focus on your relationships, exercising, like find exercise you love. I was heavily into sports. I got lost in writing. I loved writing, and you know that would be like say your flow state. So I was doing all these things that essentially felt good. And if you're doing that, I think that's going to be hard not to. So again, when these big things came up, yeah, I'm not going to say I was like ready for the ready for it. There was definitely a lot of stamping for anger, annoyance, sadness about these things. But I think the way I saw it in answer to a question is that I just thought, I don't want, I don't want to feel this way. I have an option to change how I feel. That's the only thing I've got. I don't have much. That's what I've got. And also, I knew well. Loads of different experiences. And this isn't at all saying the people around me at different times is bad, but there's been a lot of times in my life where people had forward told what they think is going to happen in a situation or told me how things were going to be or said how things, you know, I would, you know, be careful and you're probably going to be bullied or be careful this is going to happen or you're going to struggle to have a boyfriend or you're going to struggle with death. And I, you know, I was like, wow, I was actually really excited about going to school. <laughs> Thank you for that. Or why would I struggle with having a boyfriend? You know, fundamentally, I was always like, there's so many people in this world. One person is going to find me attractive. And also, I don't find other people, everyone else attractive. So it would be ridiculous for me to think that everyone should find me attractive. Do you know what I mean? There's so many times I, I've just felt that other people's opinions of a situation were wrong and that... The best thing you can do is just see, you know, see how it goes. And so as I say, like I've been pleasantly surprised in so many things. I remember I was petrified and this is goes to show. And again, this is, it all stacks up. Like I have to say all these stories to you to understand, Jeff, because I can't just say, I think I'm this person because I'm not, you know, I wasn't bold and brave all the time, but I took little steps and these things happened. And I was like, wow, this thing's happened. Like I remember, and it's ridiculous when I say it, and it's actually funny because I haven't even thought about it until now for a long time. Um, for like the year, which would be like your prom, the equivalent of your prom. We had like a prom, but we call it a ball in the UK. And I was petrified because I thought, oh, I'm never going to have a date. You know, I don't think anyone's going to want to go with me. It's going to be, what am I going to do? And this was in like the when we first started the school, you know, so to imagine caring about something that was like eight years down the line or whatever it was, is ridiculous. I'm not a dweller. So the, it would pop up and it was. And then I just remember... Later on, when the ball came round, I was like, I actually don't really want to go with anyone. Now, I did actually go with someone, but I hung out with who I want, had a great time, wasn't that big a deal. And I was just like, and it was just one of those, another one of these situations that stacked up. I was like, I've put so much energy into something that's never happened. I've never felt those feelings. I'm the one that's made this worse. Other people make things worse. And so I think that I just felt early on that I'm, I'm my biggest impact. You know, it's so easy to think our parents, our friends, the world, the news, our family, our school, our teaching, magazines, books, blah, 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 blah. 
it takes over us and controls us in some way. But but it's us. You know, I get to pick up your opinion. I get to pick up a book or I get to ignore it. I get to go to sleep. I get to, do you know what I mean? Like I just felt separated, I think, which I think a lot of people, you know, they say they think for themselves. They say they do their own thing. But I think, um, you know, it's hard to outrun that. You know, you, you, know, you kind of, well, you know, you go along with other people so much that I think it's hard sometimes whereas myself I kind of like a of swim for me situation does that Beautiful. make sense? it does that and, sense? And, and it sort of underscores um, my point that there's something uh, fundamental to you and some part of it is choices you made you build upon those choices and develop certain ways of being that are self-affirming and self-regarding and you know and also your capacity sort of to detach a little bit from the way you're being responded to and to see that so rather than just sort of getting lost and how does it feel that that person spoke to me that way or said that thing to me you're also moving into a consciousness where you're also kind of holding what their experience must have been the effort that they made to come over and say whatever sloppy thing they may have said but, you know, to discern whether or not their intentions were good or not, and if they were good to stay there in that place rather than focus on how that might have felt like a little pinch for you and the way they languaged it. And there's a lot of kind of brilliance and wisdom and willingness to continue to grow and learn in this lifetime, in your consciousness naturally, which is, I mean, I find it stirring. and startling um in a way not, not simply that you survived but that that you've thrived in a way that is so developmentally forward moving making sense of things growing to vaster and vaster levels of interpretation and consciousness and so i just picked up one of my quotes books called love it forward and i just pulled to a page so i thought i would just read this then i had some more things to ask you but it feels like it's sort of on point so this is a simple quote so much life force is in prison below our shackles of shame. Don't listen to the wardens. They are in prison too. Free yourself. You're the only one who can. That's what you just said. Right? Open your inner gifts. Hide no light under a bushel. Know that you are here for a reason. Honor your magnificence. When we realize what a treasure we are, it all changes. It really does. Treasure yourself. Close quote. It just feels as though you've somehow knew to find a way always to treasure yourself and to treasure life and to come back to that. And if we could just bottle that up and package it, we'd be living in a very different world. So tell us a bit, if you would, about your life now. What are you doing now? And like, where have you arrived? And, and what could be the next steps on your unfolding path? That quote is so nice, Joe. Mm. Yeah, I think it really, really, it really, it really hit it. Yeah, I got to send this book to you. Yeah, please. Your words, honestly, I found you on Instagram. Very, very, very new age of me. Yeah, and like I don't really sort of resonate, but I really, you really hit home so many things. And I know they say that with books, but like, I don't know, I felt like you were able to articulate how I felt and you just did it then, like, 
but it was more, it's more like you're a bit further. I feel like you're a bit further, obviously, you know, but I feel like you're further forward because you had to articulate it and sort of go deeper. Yeah, I'm really glad that we um, got in contact. Got in contact? Yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, we found each other. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Me too. Absolutely. Uh, I've lost my thoughts. So, where so, so yeah, where, where are you now in your, in your life? And um, what's next? Where am I now in my life? I have two kids that are very amazing to me. I never felt, I never thought I'd have kids. Not, not for the reasons people would say. I just wasn't like the most maternal, you know, like my friends would run across a park to squeeze a baby and I was just always in fun and craziness and whatnot. And then I fortunately fell pregnant and yeah, very lucky. So but yeah, I have two kids. I uh, work for myself because after the story I told you, I wasn't going to, it wasn't the easiest to, to get jobs. And I felt like I always had to prove to people. And I was like, which I know is, is a normal thing, but I don't know. I didn't like, I just didn't like having feelings like that. I'm wanting to work for myself, which I'm glad I did. Uh, and I saw so that. Uh, and I, what do I want to do? So I actually wanted to be a writer. I didn't believe I could do it. And this is where, when I said to you before, how some areas we might be really far forward, but other areas, not so much. Like I know other people would just go for the things they want in certain areas. And I would in some areas with relationships with people with getting out there and doing things, but with like work and studies and things, because I didn't finish school, I was easily a distracted kid. You know, um, I was one of those. I just felt, Oh, could I do it? We second guess myself. And uh, so I went into the personal training route because I loved it. Again, it was very, it was very obvious. I tried to do, I, need, I tried to do sort of office work to get office experience to work. I wanted to be basically Lois Lane. That was the goal. Uh, I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> that was super bad. You <laughs> that if I'm honest. Uh, but I hated it. I hated being at office. It wasn't like Lois Lane. I wasn't running around saving the world. Uh, then I was sitting down, filing things that I didn't want to do. So, um, yeah, I then did a personal training qualification. And again, actually, everyone everyone said, don't do that. So stay at the office. It's a safe job. Do that. I was like, mm, you know, no. So I uh, got a loan out, which was a, ridiculous. But anyway, I got a loan out to this thing, personal training. Uh, and I just loved it. And it was one of those things that got better and better and better as I did it. Because I think, again, this is, one, this is one of those other pillars, let's say, on the stack of going, I understand how to help myself, which is help other people. It's so easy when you're – like the worst part is when you're in a bad place – that no one really know, talks about is that you don't know that you're in a bad place. You don't know how bad it is. I, well, maybe, but for me, like, it's always when I look back, I'm like, goodness, I was low. Like, that was, that was definitely a bit of a depression there. Or that was, you know, that was bad. Like, when you're in it, you just think things are tough. Life's hard. Things are super unfair. And so then you're not seeing things clearly and it's hard, right? Um, but then. Being with someone and like the same personal training and helping people, which, yeah, I wasn't changing the world. I was helping people balance their lifestyle, look good in a pair of jeans and actually feel good and start enjoying exercise. But actually, I was meeting with people, helping them feel good, talking about their lives. It just broadens your perspective and it takes the pressure off you and it makes you realize that, you know, you're just one thing. There's so much more out there. And being able to help others, I think that was a, that's a massive thing for me. 
Um, I got so much from it. And again, it's not like a Mother Teresa situation. I got paid for it and all the rest of it. But I just, yeah, it's wonderful. I really enjoyed that. And so like anything, you go with what you enjoy and that you're relatively good at, I think. And and so I pushed that forward. Uh, had a few long-term relationships. That's a whole other time to talk to Jeff. Don't want to go into those. Um, and uh, I did eventually meet my husband uh, who... Yeah, he's he's amazing. He's really, really wonderful. And uh, yeah, we had our kids. We we built a gym together. Then he built a second gym. We sold the gyms last year. I've stayed online. I love it. I just love helping people. And I know now everyone's very woke and they don't want to talk about fat loss and weight change and things like that. But that's as I said before, like the look that that's like a byproduct of all these other wonderful things. And I think fundamentally, I just believe that everybody should be comfortable, healthy and enjoy the skin they're in. Like everyone deserves to feel like that. And I can help the people do that. And I think that so often, like I, genuinely, I think one of the big reasons I did this is because so many people get caught up about their weight. Are you seriously upscale weight? You know, and I was like, I can help you get rid of that obstacle. But obviously what you realize when you're younger you get rid of that old school, they're going to find, you know, they, they just want to hold on to it. It's not really the reason, you know. But it goes, yeah, I just it felt, goes deeper. It goes deeper sometimes. Deeper, yeah, but I, I think I just felt like, you know, there's so many other wonderful things to worry about. Don't, you know, pick some good problems. Don't worry about your weight. I can help you with that one. So, yeah, I enjoy Sweet, it. sweet. And we'll have links to your work in the, um, in the show notes. So let me close out with another, I just pulled another quote. Um, I want to read this quote because I, because I think this is even more appropriate for you. And so this is, I'm reading this quote to you, and of course to so many of us who overcome one form or another, from page 93 of Love It Forward, for any price. Most of the greatest achievements on the planet are unknown to others. Private overcoming, silent attempts at belief, reopening a shattered heart. The real path of champions truly lies within the transforming of suffering into expansion, the clarify, the clearing of horrifying debris, the building of a healthy self-concept without tools. The greatest achievers have found a way to believe in something good despite being traumatized and fractured on life's battlefields. No matter what else they accomplish in their lives, they are already champions. One day the world will realize that it is much harder to heal a shattered heart, etc., than excel at athletics. Gold medals all around. So thanks, Champ. Thanks for being with me today. Thank you for having me, Jeff. This has been amazing. It's you, got it. you got it. All around me, but I'm so glad it found me. Yeah. Over the moon and through stars.